Welcome to an episode of Queer Hearts. Um, I'm Kobe, and this is my friend Seth. Hello. How long have we known each other? Oh, so Burning Man 2019. So what does that make it? Four years? Four years. It's four years. It feels like longer. Well, global global pandemic will do that to you. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately. Um, But we were just talking about sports and queerness and identity um and you know how it affects both our bodies and minds and and hearts and you're someone who's you've played rugby right i have played rugby and that was a a very interesting journey to get there a very sort of interesting self-discovery moment we were just talking and this is inspiring this episode about you grew up in maryland or as you might say dc um uh, because it was so close to DC, yeah. and you grew up there, and you you started to play sports, but not until later in your life. But yes, what was that like growing up? Well, you know, I had a an upbringing where there were sort of two main factors that kept me from sports. Um, one was sort of a an acculturation from my family that if you weren't great at something, you shouldn't even do it. It was just sort of like an expectation of success. Mm. And when I, if I couldn't instantly succeed at something, which I couldn't at most sports because they required more hand-eye coordination than I initially had, mm. you don't do it. And then the second thing that really was the nail in the coffin was my dad would watch football every Sunday. Mm. And my mom would spend like half the time uh, tittering about how stupid it was for men to play these war games. You know, it's so, mm. so uncivilized. Mm. And so, at the time, I was definitely intrigued by it, but, well, if mom says that this is uncivilized, Mm. when you're four and five years old, I guess it's uncivilized. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You would never do that. Yeah. And so, I sort of ended up in a situation where I didn't play any sports. Like, I'd do, you know, soccer games at recess for a hot minute and, you know, when I was 13, 14 years old, Mm. but never anything like with someone who cared keeping score you know Mm. for those two reasons um i also definitely Hmm. um you know wasn't really drawn to the sports that were available in the neighborhood we didn't have football teams it was you know too too progressive of a neighborhood um i mean it wasn't the dumb thing yeah i hear you and tell me what when you were growing up you know what did you take from, from your mom? Like, uh, you, it seems you had a negative emotional reaction to sports. Was it the time spent on them? Was it their, like, men fighting? Or, or was it, what, what do you think Yeah, it was, it was essentially, she was, what she was saying was, uh, what she was saying was that contact sports were really a crude replacement for war. And that if you really needed to be a warrior to be a man you were just crude and neanderthal hmm. and so <laughs> it was sort of like i discovered what i interpreted as later was it was essentially forcing me to deny a part of my identity that mm. i really wanted to explore just because no that's the, that's what you're conditioned it's not appropriate it's not mm. appropriate for a civilized human interesting well and was your dad kind of pushing 
did he want you to play sports and was this like a so I think this thing it was definitely not a dispute for the dual reasons that I did I never express a desire Mm. it was already conditioned into me before I was old enough to actually Mm. want to play a contact sport that just didn't do it Mm -hmm. it just the avenue was closed to me Mm. and I was so bad at the non-contact sports or slash not interested in them that um that we didn't really pursue it and um Mm. and my dad was also not particularly good at standing up to my mother Mm. unless there was a clearly articulated need which I had not done Mm. um he wouldn't just stand up because like as far as he was concerned he'd be thrilled if I didn't play football Mm. because he enjoyed watching it for the the tactics of it but he wouldn't want to put me at risk and he knew as a neurologist Mm. that it was not safe to do so he wasn't pushing me to play at all Mm. Um, now accidentally at about age nine I fell into taekwondo when they oh. started doing um, started doing classes at a camp I was at that was not a Taekwondo camp. It was just a side activity. And I really took to it, and I joined the instructor's dojo when he started one. And, um, and you know, leaned in hard to that. And I, I sort of enjoyed that. I enjoyed, enjoyed the violence of it. But it was, you know, hmm. it was, a, it was a, a, a dojo that took, took it seriously, but it was also for kids. Mm-hmm. So like they always told you like never go beyond medium contact and I remember mm. there was one there was one particular guy in our in our dojo right around age 12 13 mm. where um uh he and I just knew like you could go harder like you can go harder mm. with this guy like he'll he can take it and you can take it and mm. and just was like <laughs> those matches were full contact and I had a lot of fun with them. <laughs> All, not so much fun because I still wasn't very good yeah. at it yeah. <laughs> so he usually floored me but still it was fun to be able to have like have that outlet mm. but yeah that intensity was yeah that you were, that I, you were I really wanted the intensity then it didn't really have that it was more about mm. um you know the forms and the, the the moves i mean got really good at flipping someone over my shoulders but we didn't actually Ooh. do that in matches like that was just you had to know how to do it yeah. to pass the belt exams right right um because it was for kids right right it was, it was intended for to be safe for kids of course um <laughs> are sports safe for kids <laughs> well, that's a whole other question <laughs> Um, but anyway, like I got to 14, I entered high school and because of the aforementioned mm. conditioning that, um, you didn't do something unless you were prepared to be great at it mm. and the expectation that above all else, you were going to be great at academics mm. and the fact that I was in an extremely, um, challenging high school mm. with a very high level of academic rigor, I convinced myself that I had to stop mm. the Taekwondo. I didn't have a choice. I had to um, give it up to focus on the academics. Mm. And then just sort of, and that was also when I was realizing my own, well, I was starting to mm. have subconscious realizations of my gayness and being not quite right. there. You know, mm. like something was off in terms of my self-identity. And I told yeah. myself it was a whole number of things. but yeah. You hadn't fully, you had certainly hadn't come to accept it yet and you knew it was different from what was around you. Very much so. Yeah, so already like a relationship with sports where you wanted more contact, you wanted more intensity, um, you wanted to put yourself out there and like play play the game sure. and kind of have you had this 
also idea that that was morally like maybe not supposed to happen and then also from a safety point of view <laughs> your dad was, was really not, worried about no me was helping you there. yeah <laughs> and so of course as a child you didn't know how to necessarily overcome either of those but suddenly i mean now we're getting to the point where you are about to go off to college is that right and we're, we're better right about there and and yeah and so we went to college and still focusing on the academic rigor and I go to college, and um, I finally, well, the summer before college, I came out to my family. And I went to college with the intention of being out. And I got to college, mm. and um, and I started hearing gay as a slur word again. Oh, no. Like, every five seconds. And I was oh. like, oh, we're going to go back in the closet now. Yeah. This is great, because I went from super progressive northwest mm. D.C., to rural Ohio. So I went to college and I didn't actually explore the sports side of my life again until I graduated from grad school. Okay. Um, I did have a really amazing awakening as I came out of the closet in college, which Mm. I can tell now or later. Yeah, of course. Uh, Of course. So, um, so I went to college and went back into the closet almost immediately. And then oh. I, I made I made friends. I was starting to understand how to socialize better mm-hmm. and sort of build community. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did have friends and I joined a fraternity. Mm. And the fraternity was definitely, um, I wouldn't quite say Animal House. Like mm. We didn't actually have ragers, but <laughs> we were definitely like a little rundown. And it was a cool experience because there was no alumni funding. You, we had to do it ourselves. You mm-hmm. want something fixed in the house, figure how to fix it. So you were not one of the frat bros that just had all the money. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Had all this prestige, had all this privilege. Not was, at all. Yeah. It was very much that. But it was also yeah. like rural Ohio yeah. and politically and you know socially mixed okay. in this male fraternity. Mm-hmm. Um and uh you know there were plenty of very conservative brothers in the house Mm. and so i was friends with them and i had built a community there but i was not out Mm. because i was experiencing a side of america that i'd never been exposed to before and it was scary yeah in college which is usually the opposite for people right usually Um, college is more liberal but i had a ridiculously progressive upbringing i mean yeah. yeah um well but uh still not enough to you know make me realize my truth until 18 uh, um that all being said very much love simon my like childhood you know like it should have been easy to come out but it wasn't if you've seen the movie love simon yeah yeah absolutely. Um, but um anyway um so i decide mm-hmm. about a about six months into joining the fraternity that it was time to tell everyone and we'll see what the heck happens mm-hmm. And I was just about terrified. I decided to do it in the context of one of our rituals. Because, um, you know, secret societies have things that they do that they're not supposed to talk about. Uh-huh. This is one of the ones that we're sort of allowed to talk about. So I'm not violating oh, any rules oh, here. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, but um, yeah, that's all silly. But it's it was, to be honest, a little aside. The rituals were very meaningful. They're very meaningfully constructed and they mean a lot to me. And that's probably why I wouldn't talk about the ones that are actually secret because of what they meant to me at the time. Of course. Um, But the ones I'm talking talking about, you can find online. They're 
they're fully available. <laughs> um, and uh, so the ritual was conducted in a fully dark room with no lighting oh. in a basement at night. Uh-huh. And the way it works, everyone stands in a circle and they all hold a candle. Mm-hmm. It is unlit. And through a mechanism, candles get lit when people want to talk. And they, in turn, recognize other people by lighting their candles. Mm. Um, and I uh, found myself with a lit candle after someone had recognized me. Mm. Um, I think I might have told the ritualist that I had something I wanted to say. And mm. so he made sure to recognize me earlier on in the evening. Mm. Um, and uh, I let everyone else blow their candle out. And uh, it was just my candle. Mm. And uh, I said to everyone, you know, I just wanted to tell you that um, I'm gay. And um, this is not going to change anything about how I treat you. I'm still the same person I was yesterday. Mm. Um, but I couldn't not tell you guys anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're living with them. You're building something with them. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was a real community. And there's a lot of effort that went into it. Mm. So it was something I couldn't keep from them. Mm. Um, and I stood there. And the way it works is you can't talk because the candle's lit. Right. And mine is, the only, mine is the only lit candle. Right. So stepping out of the circle is a big, butch, rural Ohio man mm. who I know is socially conservative and mm. who I know has a gun safe in his room in oh the God. same house and <laughs> often carries a sidearm. Okay. All right. Wow, different this, parts of America. This, this is a house that has guns in it, all right? Yeah, wow. <laughs> in this here country. Not, not, to, not to mention swords and knives. and sure. I would say 80% Just, of the brothers had pocket knives on them that night. What did your mother say? War, <laughs> war playing war? Right. Oh, very much that. Very much that. Um <laughs> Uh, anyway, so, so he steps out of the circle, circle and he walks right up to me because he's got to go right up to my candle to light his before he can talk. So mm-hmm. he's a foot and a half away from me at most. And he lights his candle and he basically says, this is fine. You know, we, 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 we respect you. These guys are too butch to use the word love. But, you know, mm-hmm. essentially what he's saying was we love you, we respect you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not going to change anything about how you're relating to us... We, this doesn't change anything about how we relate to you. Mm-hmm. And I found out later that he was definitely saying that to other people, not just me. Like, this is going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And this is the party line. Yeah. Because some people were not as comfortable with it when they first heard it. Yeah. Um, I he found out up. later. He stood up for you. He very much stood up for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, and, and it was, it was, it was wonderful. And, um, and it was it was what I needed. It was the perfect allyship, and it was just not discussed. Mm. It just you're still the same guy, mm-hmm. like um, no big deal. Um, and and it was it was good to have that off my chest and finally be out, like mm. completely out. And we could then make jokes about it, which was great. Um, like occasionally, <laughs> like we, had, we like sometimes we'd be walking around in a group doing something as a fraternity, and uh-huh. you know, as people do, they love to like scream "faggot" or whatever out of the cars they drive okay. past. You know, okay. it was like a, like just because they don't like fraternity brothers, you know, or whatever. Sure. And then I was able to say after that, 
yes, I fucking am. Yeah, <laughs> and then the whole yeah, group's yeah, laughing, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway. But um, that's, I mean, it's hugely confident, like, to be able to respond back to that, I feel like. Absolutely. Most people, that, and, I mean, yeah. arguably it's something that no one should have to endure, but the fact that you were able to turn it around on them and that you had the backup you know your brothers if you will well but to be clear they were with you, you to, know? to be clear they were not yelling at me they were yelling at all of us as an insult right. they didn't know I was gay oh no I hear you and, and hear so you. like if to them it was actually a great defense for themselves because they were feeling insulted too it was like I was able to make it a joke you know and that they appreciated that and yet had you not been with them you know responding in that way could have could have put you in some sort of that's true negative that is situation. very true that's very and true. So the fact that you can throw back, you can clap back, and that you have people protecting you, you know, defending you. There's, yeah. you know, that is, you know, it all sounds very masculine in a way that. <laughs> oh, it was so masculine. I can't even begin to tell you how fucking masculine oh, okay. this experience was. <laughs> um, in a, <laughs> it, it, the most broy uh, queer affirmation possible. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's very much the story of my um, early gay life. Wow. So it was it was a wonderfully affirming experience. And this fraternity was a trip, man. I can't even begin to tell you. I mean so I told you there were guns in the house, right? I mean the level of self reliance was such that when raccoons started infesting our attic, the only solution that we could afford, because the exterminators wanted an insane amount of money to deal with the fraternity, Mm -hmm. um, was to literally have the guys post up with twenty twos in the attic at at dusk when they came in and shoot them. (laughs) So you would be studying in your room and you hear bang, got one. Wow, it's celebrating. We, we got the raccoons. <laughs> and they're so cute, but they were chewing up the wires and the oh, roof was losing no. its integrity and we had to get them out. Oh, it no. was it was rough. Like I I I I had to deal with the mice a mouse infestation at one point and hmm. that broke my heart. I did not like dealing with the mice. It was they're so cute. Oh. But they were eating all my food and pooping everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is an ethical dilemma. It really was. Um, it was so sad. Oh, At first, I was like, oh, it's fine. I'll have some mouse friends. Oh, and then they started burrowing holes directly through the loaves of bread, like just ruining all of wow, the slices. Right through. Right oh, in the middle. No, yeah. Not even the side. No, they, all they the way just, through. They couldn't just take one, one piece at a time. Of That'd oh, be fine. I could deal these, with that. These mice, if they just had some manners. <laughs> oh, it's, always, so. it's like that. It's like, I know how that is. But it was a fun house. It was a really big house with like different levels, and it was multiple buildings that had been combined. So Mm -hmm. it was a really cool experience with like different so like common areas. And Mm -hmm. yeah, anyway. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was it was a good experience. I mean, so we're we're already seeing the truth that I I know for you, which is that (laughs) as as how tall are you, Seth? I'm six foot five. Yeah. So Seth Seth is Seth is big. Uh, he plays plays rugby. Uh, he uh, has played. played he played, played rugby. <laughs> um, he can still do some poses for us. And, um, you know, you you come off as sometimes sometimes you can come off as intimidating. Um, I have heard that many times. <laughs> um, but what you realize pretty quickly when talking to Seth is that actually he has a really big heart. And as we just heard with the raccoons and the um, the mice, you know, there's there's something about you that also just knows knows how to see people and and show yourself and i think that's beautiful and 
you were able to sound it sounds like kind of starts on unlock that here at the fraternity um i was and i think i think the important thing that i started to realize at the fraternity was that being gay didn't mean not being a guy and a man and being able to lean into those male stereotypes sure and and that that and that also being a guy didn't mean being unloving or cold mm, do you know what absolutely I'm yeah absolutely. And, and so and it definitely was like okay i can i can be broy, i can be masculine and also be in touch with like this community that yes. i'm part of yeah and uh but I, I would say that being part of you know being part of the guys like being a part of the, the crew mm. didn't necessarily check all the boxes for me yeah because i still craved the camaraderie of something dangerous yeah the fraternity was not inherently dangerous yeah right and um i felt like i had missed out on that opportunity because i didn't play sports growing up as we talked about mm -hmm. and the what popular culture told me was that gay guys didn't do that Mm. they didn't play contact sports this wasn't the role that mm -hmm. they had in society mm -hmm. and i was starting to unpack that a little bit with what mm. the fraternity had given me right but when i graduated grad school i really wanted to lean into that really hard mm. and i happened to find out as i was graduating grad school about gay rugby teams ah okay which so. is not something i'd heard about before mm-hmm and the story of gay rugby teams is actually a really cool piece of queer history. Okay. Um, so, 9-11, United Flight 93, the one that crashed near Shanksville when the mm. passengers took the plane back over. Okay, yeah. So, there are four people who are generally credited from the flight data recorder with leading the charge to the cabin. Wow. Like, lots of people helped, but the four these are the four that busted in. Wow. And they're all athletes, but one of them was an openly gay rugby player. Wow. And uh, his name was Mark Bingham. At the time, he lived in San Francisco because that flight was going to San Francisco. Wow. And at, at the time of 9-11, there were already a couple of gay rugby teams, including one that Mark had co-founded here. Mm -hmm. And these are teams that are gay-friendly, not exclusively gay, but a large percentage are gay. Mm -hmm. and play in competitive straight leagues got it um and so you know it, it was sort of started but mark taking down flight 93 as that story started to spread in the yeah. gay community yeah it awakened a lot of people myself included to saying wait oh. what i can be gay and play this super masculine sport and 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 and, yeah. and take out terrorists if I have right, to, right? Like, it'd be a, basically, it'd be a hero. Yeah, and it, sure. it was it's sort of like exactly. It was yeah. like you can be the male version of a hero, and it wasn't to say that gay men couldn't be heroes in their own way. But you hadn't like, seen any. Yeah, it was essentially essentially it was like a hero that was gay, right? But acted as you'd expect a male hero to act. Sure. Yeah. Right, because right. they don't necessarily have, have stupid to do with gender each other. stereotypes. Right. I know, right. but you right. know, you had, it sounds like you hadn't seen a, a gay hero or a, or not one that thing. I identified with. Yeah, so you know, as me. Fair enough. 
and and so and, and I, I want to stress that like this is not to say that to be a man a gay man you have to play sports or fit the stereotype oh, there no, are many truths. yeah <laughs> um, but for me I didn't feel like the other stereotypes fit me yeah well. it's interesting it's very interesting to hear how whereas I fit the stereotypes pretty well I was in musicals I was in choir <laughs> sure um, I was like I wanted to like grow my hair and yeah. all these things and and it was um that all made sense to me and sports didn't and so that narrative fit very well but i can see how the flip side would be pretty alarming because now it's a double you don't fit it either way so exactly you, where suddenly you saw oh the stereotypes and typecasting of, of queers uh is all bullshit anyway and we can totally make up our own. You saw someone that had done that and that played rugby and that saved a, a plane. And now that you started to want to play rugby. Yeah. Yeah. No, I heard it was a big part of, you know, you know, what got me into it and, um, or perhaps more accurately got me to stick with it. Um, mm. and it really was a transformative movement. I and mean, before nine 11, there were two or three teams in the whole world. And by the time I joined, there was a team in every major city. I mean, and there is no other contact sport where there is a gay-friendly team in every major city. And so I joined uh, when I graduated school. Uh, I joined in Boston. I played a season with them. And then I took my first permanent job in Chicago, and I joined the team there. And uh, it was it was quite an experience. Um, you know, I, I want to give rugby credit. Mm -hmm. As a sport, it was one of the most okay with gay people. Primarily because um, to play rugby at all, you've got to be pretty damn tough. Mm -hmm. um, you are running an average of five miles okay. in yeah. a game. You're not allowed substitute. You do like a couple substitutions. Almost everyone is on the field the whole time. Well, there's not breaks. You're hitting. You're tackling. You're secretly punching people in the scrum like <laughs> you're also like ignoring the injuries that you've sustained either earlier in the game or earlier in the season because you're not allowed subs oh wow so you've got to tough it out so when a, 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 a an opposing player from a standard straight team meets you even if they've never met a gay guy before it's like this guy's gonna get on the rugby field i already have respect for him just because you're willing to do it. Sure, there was a common ground there that perhaps exactly. is perhaps is absent with other activities, um, given that stereotypically, I, I don't know the data on this, but many men are pushed towards sports. Um, yeah, they have some common ground with you, and Very specifically, much. this is a hard one, really. And hard you're gonna one. do it, okay? Well, let's let's give you some credit. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, it was it was sort of like okay, um, you're gonna do this. Uh, You've got at least some respect from me, um, but also, <laughs> you know, a straight a straight team is gonna, you know, sooner lose a you know you know be cursed with a year of virginity than lose to a bunch of gay guys, right? Well, I, I yeah. guess that means you got good competitors. <laughs> uh, well, let me tell you, they were even by the standards of rugby games, very rough. Oh, they okay. were very, very rough because they were not about to lose to us. Oh, so then they cheat. <laughs> well, it's not cheating. It's part of the game. Like, it's mm. just a question of intensity. Oh. Like, the game is intended to be violent. Okay. Yeah, that's the point. So there are rules about what you can and can't do, no? Like... Yeah, but I mean, it's sort of a matter of motivation. If, if you know, you are really, like, 
fuck no, you're just going to hit that much harder. Mm. So, you know, it's like there's no fucking way I'm losing to these fucking faggots is what's going through the back of their mind. Yikes. They're, I mean, they never say it out loud, but they, they think, well, occasionally they'd say it out loud, but usually they just think it. Oh. But they're all, but that basically is a motivation to like, all right, you're going to go three miles an hour faster when you're running into this guy. Okay. And, you know. I mean, that's a bit, that's a bit scary then. I mean, oh, it's thinking, terrifying. Like, and not only, I mean, of course, the threat of violence even though you signed up for it, but the fact that they're increasing it and even using it against you. Um, yeah. It, it, it was a very interesting experience. Um, and usually you would not, you would not encounter open homophobia. There was one, one or two teams that I remember that were pretty homophobic. Hmm. Uh, and we were sort of pre-briefed on, on those games. Like if they pick a fight, every fucking member of this team is on the field in 30 seconds or you're walking home. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see, as in we're going to stand up to them. You, you better join that fight or you're, you're, you're finding your own way home. Wow, what an, what an approach. <laughs> <laughs> like, not, there's, it's not, was there not a consideration to not play the game with the people who were homophobic? No, because like, that, would, that would not have broken down the stereotype. Okay. This is how a rugby player would react. Right. You know, you we, have we are proving that back. we are the same. And, okay. and the way that a rugby player would react to any sort of okay. attack like this is attack back. Wow. I see. So, yeah, in the rules of, of rugby world, you you show your worth. You show your um, teeth. Yeah, with, with your teeth. You show your worth with your teeth. Exactly. And so okay. it was sort of like the way the way forward is through. Hmm. And you and and essentially the, the 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 intended result, which is sort of where we leaned towards, was they're gonna try and hit you harder because you're gay. Hit them harder back. Wow. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because it's not it's not my personal approach to things, but it's it's just not how I moved through. I'm also you know five foot eight and fairly small and flexible so i like squeeze through the cracks and run away um dance away. you you actually you actually would would physically be an amazing back because they're supposed to be able to run oh, through okay. but yeah i don't know I have to work on my speed i'd flip over i'd like have to flip over them and land in a split to avoid their <laughs> really get them mad <laughs> taunt them <laughs> Uh, anyway, it, like, it, it, it was uh, fucked up. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> if I if I could uh, if I could reliably avoid them, I would love to. I would love to, but with the flip of the hair, the <laughs> flick of the wrist. Um, no, but you really. I mean, that's an, such an intense emotion and oh, physicality, very much. all wrapped up with people who may not like who you are. But at the end of the day, I suppose you were working towards proving to all these people that uh which you never had to do but that you chose to do that you have equal rights to be here and that you're just as much of men and perhaps helping them question i would hope what a man is it worked (laughs) it absolutely worked so i mean first Mm. of all i i want to be fully transparent that when i first started playing we were losing badly Mm. um but you know within about two years uh, we started being competitive and, you know, we recruited, we were training hard and, you know, we, and then by the time I was sort of forced to retire by an injury I couldn't recover from, we were, you know, making the finals. Um, mm. But, but the more important part 
was the way the other teams treated us changed. Mm. And wow. they started looking forward to our games. Okay. Um, and just treating us the same as every other team. Ah, okay. Um, because we were um, we were more fun. Mm-hmm. And once they oh, became yeah. comfortable with the fact that we were gay, <laughs> because like I don't know if you know this, but a tradition in rugby is both teams always go out drinking together afterwards. Oh, you have told me, and it's yeah. a lot of drinking. It's a lot of drinking, but the but the point is we've had the consensual fight. Yes, we've done this stupid thing to each other. Now we're going to be friends. Yeah, because we went through this bullshit together. Uh, I see. So it's it's it's. This is a kind of ritualized oh, it is. Um, form of forcing men to bond because they fight to exhaustion and then get drunk together because they're all alive. They're all alive and in a lot of pain. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, wow. And, and so, but, Some, and something about that can turn enemies into friends. It sounds. It did, and, and, and at first it didn't work out that way. Like the drink, they called they're called them they called them drink ups. Drink up. Uh, and the drink ups in the first games with the homophobic teams were very like forced and like people excused themselves as quickly as it was like socially acceptable to do so. Wow. Um, but you know, by the time we were getting to like two years in, they're like, oh. We get to play the dragons, which is our team. Right. You know, we're gonna go to the gay bars and no get way. drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's uh, cheaper? Is that no? Or just they, in general, they had a lot of fun there because oh, they, you know, straight men aren't used to being bought drinks. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> and so we, they started leaning into like the flattery of oh. men buying them drinks, and like. <laughs> And like, oh, this is fun. I don't have to worry about impressing they're all, girls. They're all you know, like, like big muscle boys <laughs> in the little in the gay bar. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so they're in it for the free drinks. But well, also, just... the, you're right. The flattery. You're right. This is this is something my father I, does, and it's very funny because he'll get complimented. He loves getting complimented, right. but that's not like a thing that you usually receive from other guys, um, and. He'll every now and then get hit on by a gay man, not even necessarily in a gay context. And he always he always gets so happy afterwards. <laughs> he's so flattered that he's found, you know, attractive. To, um, and so there's something about that, right? Yep. As you learn that yep. if you can forget about who it is, not forget about, but not invalidate the compliment because of someone's sexuality, but rather feel it. It's, it's fun. Very much that. It's good. Very much that. So it was. It was absolutely, you know, very rewarding for me to see them treat us, you know, the same or you know better in some ways as the mm-hmm. other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it was. It was really cool. And uh, you know, I think it could only have ha- ever happened in rugby because that that sort of, as you say, ritualized violence and bonding is is a context in which the people participating in it do not question their masculinity. Like mm. this is this this I, I did this bullshit and you're gonna tell me that I'm a faggot? Fuck you! I'm not worried about being called a faggot. Right, you're not you worried. Know? So when you're not worried, you can associate with those people mm-hmm. and not be afraid of it. So it was an e- believe it or not an easier barrier to break down than say the general conservative population. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's a yeah. That's. You did the the thing that would question your masculinity that you have both agreed on is right. a, a demonstration of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and then it's 
while it's important to you know note that that doesn't you know not having masculinity as someone who is male doesn't mean that you're not in sorry very does not important. mean that you're not valid and all of that very important to stress that yeah of course yeah. but in this case there there you know you were able to bridge that gap and, and hopefully yeah hope hopefully they started to change their mind about people who they fell did. outside of they really did even the men that they met they yeah. really they absolutely did because they they appreciated our culture in a way they never would have experienced it otherwise yeah you were you were there it's always a common ground right like yeah. they while they maybe not couldn't relate to some you know a, a gay man who had different interests than they did and so the bridge would be hard to even start in this case you were the bridge and they could begin to see all manner they, of different people. they came to our side of the bridge they walked across the bridge to us <laughs> the, the rainbow bridge yeah oh that's, that's so sweet and um so i mean rugby these years i mean we, we also have to go back to to college a little bit you were also you're also exploring your own, you know, sexuality, and um, you'd begun to, I mean, have perhaps have some perhaps romances. Um, and Honestly, I came to that very, very late. Very late. Okay. I mean, because part of, and this was purely, you know, my own choice. No one was trying to pressure me into this. Mm. I was living in a fraternity house, mm-hmm. and number one, there really weren't a lot of guys that I wanted to date in rural Ohio, <laughs> um, especially because at the time I was. Um, maybe not as fit as I am now. Let's mm. just say that. Mm. Uh, and, um, but sort of also, I didn't really want to bring that into our common space. Mm-hmm. Because although they accepted me, I think the idea of two guys fucking in the house might have given them pause. Mm. I did end up having a date where the guy stayed over in my senior year. Mm. Uh, and to the guy's credit they were a little bit confused i think it's just because i'd never done it before and they didn't say a damn thing they're like okay Mm. you know Mm -hmm. but uh yeah um it's hard to know it's hard to know what's what will they accept what won't they mm -hmm. when it's you know when they're faced with the reality rather than just having to hear it in in concept so but it sounds like it went okay it went okay and okay so a little yeah you know you you dipped your toe and now but now you're playing rugby and (laughs) how did that begin to change so (laughs) i mean i would say that uh rugby um introduced me to a whole nother side of my life almost Uh, immediately uh, and i i will say that i I definitely was slow to get into true dating and love and i'm still slow in in that i'm Hmm, currently single and have been for five years but (laughs) available uh, available hey uh but um no uh but when i joined the first rugby team that i joined i immediately met uh, one of my other players who was gay Hmm. who had the perception to see that there was a lot of unrealized potential Hmm. in my journey Mm -hmm. and he we we hooked up and then yeah. he um he said uh what are you doing for fourth of july mm-hmm. and um i said well i'm new to town i don't really have any plans like you want to go camping mm-hmm. i'm like okay sounds fun uh he is part of a throuple yeah he and one husband went up on thursday yes i couldn't go till friday because i was working a new job 
Mm-hmm. So his husband picks me up to take me up there. We've had like so three words between us at this point. Right, all right, right, right. We don't know each other at all. And he's a big beacon man. Um, uh-huh. I'm more than a little into. And uh-huh. uh, anyway, so me chill, get in the car, and uh, he's like, um, so do you know where you're going? We're going camping. Like, we're no, going. <laughs> we're not going camping. <laughs> you, re- you really said yes to this thing. You have no idea. What I've already said going. yes. My gear's already up there. You're, just like, me- you're with, in a car with this man's husband. Yeah, so you're being introduced to several concepts all at once. Yeah. Polyamory. Uh, I'm assuming a gay camp out. Um, well, no, actually. It was, wasn't mm-hmm. a gay camp out. It was a Burning Man event. Ah, and ah. So we were going to a Burning Man event in Vermont, and he says, so he's like, um, do you know where you're going? No, we're going to a Burning, we're a Burning Man event. Um, okay, so do you know what Burning Man is? Yes, fortunately I'd heard of Burning Man. It had not entered the cultural zeitgeist at that point, but I had right. fortunately heard of it. Okay. Um, and I knew more or less what I was getting into in terms of craziness. Yeah. And he's like, okay, we're probably going to do some substances when we get there. Mm. How comfortable are you with that? Uh, I was like, well, I've never done it, but okay, great. We're probably going to end up in an orgy later. (laughs) (laughs) How comfortable are you with that? Uh, I was like, well, I've never done anything more than hook up with one guy, Um, but sure, why not? Yeah, 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 in the spirit of... Uh, so yeah, um, I get there and within 48 hours, I've like popped 10 different cherries. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so to speak. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I know how that is. Um, uh, you were my first burning man. I remember. Heads. And you <laughs> dove in head first. You were like, I was so proud of you. Like, uh, I wish I was this put together when I was, what were you, 23 at the time? I was 23. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was like, because I remember you were on that, um, that journey we took yes. um, with mm-hmm. uh, the alterations uh, to our mental states. Oh, it was all all night, <laughs> all night, all night long. And we started with twenty five, I think. It was a large group, right? It was a, it was a it was a it was a group, and then it was just you, me, and Devin. <laughs> you were the were the last two. Twenty hours. We biked everywhere. We saw everything that there you could ever see, and we did it all. And you um, were one of the last ones, <laughs> the ones there. Yeah, it was, and it was beautiful, and like. Uh, fantastic and uh, you know as Burning Man can only really be experienced not entirely put into words no, as you will. absolutely um, but it was I mean the, but I'd say that it really helped me realize a lot of um, truths about mm-hmm. all the things that I could do and yes, that you know yes. I, and I was definitely still enjoying leaning into this masculine role mm-hmm. that the rugby provided but also like mm-hmm. there's more to this there's yes. more to this being gay thing yes um, than just proving that you're than just proving you're still a guy, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is what you, which is what it had been so far for you. It sounds like. Yeah, very much had. Um, and so I, I sort of started moving beyond the proving myself phase mm. to the exploring myself phase. Amazing, yeah. amazing. There's yeah. nothing like Burning Man to get you there. Um, and so, yeah, in this experience, you're with these people who are obviously open-minded and. They're in. They're together, but now you're you're a third. How was your experience with polyamory? What was it like to 
you know, not only see two men in a they were married, but then also. So at the time that I met them, the person who introduced me to them was dating the other two. Oh, there on, you go. On a on a track to joining as a co-equal partner. Yeah. And then I went back a year later for the same Burning Man event and was the best man for their official marriage joining, um, which was really crazy event. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, I'd say what it taught me was that polyamory could work because mm. before I'd met them, I'd say the dynamics of it don't make a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. After meeting them, it made a lot more sense. But I also would say that it definitely made me learn that for me, the form of polyamory that I could partake in was a a clear-eyed one. Mm. Um, there was never any presumption as I was spending a lot of time with them that I was dating them mm. or on a track to becoming the fourth. I see. That was never waved or hinted at or... Weird. It was much more like you're our little brother. I see. I see. And uh, we're teaching you the ways of the world. Yes. And that really taught me the importance of gay mentors, which yeah. I leaned in very hard with. You know, my life. I'm like, how can I pay this forward? Yeah. Um, but it also definitely taught me that if I was to engage in a romantic polyamorous relationship, mm. it would have to be a co-equal one for myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I saw how complicated it, as it was for them, yeah, um, and I couldn't imagine a scenario for myself, at least, yeah. where I was like not on an equal footing with all the partners. Right? Yeah. No, this is two really good concepts of, you know, in any in any relationship, the importance of uh, equal, yeah, equal footing, as you're saying. Yeah. No one's dependent on the other, or. Uh, you know, either financially or in in terms of knowing how to do life, <laughs> um, and the the other concept of um, what was it, polyamory and um, gay mentors. Yes, that's right. The this idea that relationships can be intimate and can be loving um, between men, and it doesn't have to be romance as far as a as we typically see with partners, um, although it has aspects of that. It was, it was, I mean, there's just not enough words for love is really what it boils down to. It's true. It's true. Um, and, and it was, it was very much love. I mean, they, they tell me to this day often, you always have a home here if you ever need it, Mm. but it's very much like as, as our nephew or our brother, you know, Mm -hmm. not as, Mm -hmm. not as our partner, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's still, Mm-hmm. so deeply meaningful and moving yeah you know? yeah it's a moving it's a really moving it's it's a form of family it's a form of very much relationship that. it's your community it's it's a home and another place so it's 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 beautiful it's it's some of the that's a, those are relationships that i'm so glad to have begun to to make here in san francisco and mm-hmm. since i moved here course with you so <laughs> Seth being one of my original gay, gay mentors in I, I tried you already knew most of it though <laughs> <laughs> yes so gay gay mentors and their importance in it gave me a lot of meaning to be able to be that for you though Kobe oh. as little as you needed it it still meant a lot to me <laughs> I, I, I did need it I did I, I needed it I mean at the time to be honest at the time I was 
yeah, I had just finished college and was exploring life and meaning and where I wanted to be and who I wanted to be and um, love, relationships, everything. And, and I think I had taken an, enough hits, especially with the pandemic, that I was in a pretty just hard place. At first it was all exciting and fun, and then at the pandemic it became hard. Well, but you were in the most awful of positions of that pandemic at the start. <laughs> I remember that it was yeah. heart, it was heartbreaking for me, but I was like, oh. I, I could tell like why you were pulling back was not for your own sake; it was for the sake of your of, severely yeah. immunocompromised roommate. You yes, know? my roommate at the time was in his sixties, and that's not a time to be messing with a virus that would be known to you know severely damage them. So it was amazing to live with someone who knew the Castro in its heyday um, and. Not, such a cool individual not fun yeah. yeah not fun during a pandemic but you know that's the time when when we became closer still and and dug into uh you know these deeper topics of of uh, what's life and what's next and how to move forward and um poly and i think i will always appreciate how at the time you know i was vulnerable i was hurt and i was looking for someone to kind of make things better and I'll always deeply appreciate that you didn't take advantage of not that you would but you didn't use that against me in any way nor did you leave any false promises you you were you offered me that that mentorship and, and kept boundaries that allowed me to define myself rather than lose myself and I that meant it still means a lot to me and so Glad I could be that for you. <laughs> um, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was also, you know, there was a real hot fuck too. There, there was, uh, <laughs> if you get a chance to have sex with this man, you should do it. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm say the same for you. Uh, um, it's true. It's it's all true, and yet what means it all means a lot, and what means a lot too is the continued friendship, the continued support and and something that goes beyond just the romance or just the sex and just the good times so it's um honestly that's one of the things i love about being gay the most is the fact that yeah i it's easier to count the friends i haven't fucked <laughs> you know it's just how we say hello and then it's it just we have just that bond you know hello. it's true you but it, you bond through it you know it, it is it's yeah. a it's a great it's a great socialization i that's what i've read and well, also believe is that sex, as as social animals, as social mammals, as social primates, is a form of socialization. Um, primarily, you know, and secondarily, it's a form of reproduction. Um, I and agree yeah, uh, otherwise it wouldn't be so horny all the time. I mean, God, we don't need this many new ones. Uh, so. Uh, I think it's 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 a, it is beautiful. It is fun, and uh, it was it was so exciting to let go of all the the shame around it that I was brought up with. Um, so, uh, and dive into sweaty basements of San Francisco. Uh, um, <laughs> I still remember the first time. <laughs> Can we talk about this? Oh, the first time. You mean my, how I was beaming? Oh know, my she, god! So ear to ear. I was I was at the first full on sex party dance party in San Francisco that Kobe attended 
and I he went into it like sort of like okay let's give this a try <laughs> and I see him an hour later emerging from the sex floor, sex room mm-hmm. with the biggest smile on his face <laughs> I've ever seen on anyone like <laughs> it's like this is great <laughs> I just swam through a pile of sweaty men <laughs> I mean it is that is what it's like especially your first now I'm now, <laughs> now I'm like oh this was so yesterday but yes it's true it's, it's true it, it was part of your journey you know oh yeah, yeah the first time it's absolutely exciting there's nothing quite there's nothing quite you know as as a bunch of men that 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 are that you're attracted to um um and then want to play with and the yeah the energy of it all it's and of course i was i was thrilled i i couldn't i was for days just so excited and like when's the next one and then the (laughs) then the pandemic came (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'd already given you the rundown of what all those club six parties were too as i recall and was, they all got canceled. They were in the calendar. I was ready. I had my favorite jock straps already picked out. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. It taught you know. It taught me a lot about the playfulness of it all and the thrill of the, of cruising or the hunt, the, the eye contact and this way of of engaging with with other men that, uh, you know, as someone who grew up mostly online. Um, I hadn't experienced and so it, it's all still quite fun of course there are um, pitfalls to look out for uh, with it all but it's um, overall you, you can do it pr- quite safely and quite um, ethically and when you overcome those barriers it's just a fun it's a fun time you can really find out a lot about your own confidence find out a lot about um, how to play the game and um, I, I was happy to be able to play that game with you. <laughs> I mean, it's it's definitely like, I know it's not necessarily for everyone, and there certainly are plenty of gay men for whom it's not their preferred way of socializing. But I think the fact that it exists is a demonstration of the ways in which queer culture is not straight culture. It is not just another version of straight culture. Mm-hmm. There's so many different ways mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be human. It's true. It's true. And this is this is ours uh and i can't for one minute say that you know diss it at all because uh both of my current boyfriends i met at a sex party uh and i love them so much it's been over six months and we're um <laughs> it's they're teaching me so much and we're it's and, a beautiful and time speaking of your boyfriends it's another great example of mm. you being very clear-eyed and I would say a good example of polyamory as as a clear-eyed endeavor, mm. because I, I don't think you are approaching that with any lack of clarity on where that is going. You know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No. It's it, while while it is my first uh, polyamorous relationship, we we you know we started going to a poly chat, uh, which is like a group of people that talk about being poly, uh, whether you know you're partnered or not, just the identity and. The ethics that come along with it, yeah. uh, or rather, you know, because it's still up for, you know, discussion, the right, if you will, ways. Um, and it's been such a privilege to learn from people, uh, including my, my own boyfriends who have have been poly before, and um, from from you know you are one of those people. There's so many in San Francisco, mm. um, and clear-eyed. Yes, the importance of knowing what 
it is you're you're going towards what you want what you need where they're at and um how much you can give uh and um that communication that honesty um as well as negotiating levels of commitment so i mean taking it back to taking it back to you you had had this big opening with the burning man event um and you were still playing sports at the time and yes yes and somehow you did get to san francisco but was there any sort of you know post burning man sport uh queer things that, that happened well you know i think the the big life sort of realization that happened between those two events was uh realizing how unimportant work is mm. relatively speaking because i was in chicago as i mentioned mm-hmm. and i allowed myself to be headhunted to providence rhode island mm. and providence to give it credit is a surprisingly gay city and the way I describe it is it's bigger in population than New Orleans. And, mm-hmm. and New Orleans is very gay. So there's actually a lot of gay bars in Providence. But it still was not the right place for me. I see. And um, uh, and so I started looking at what my next move was going to be. And I thought it was the job. The job's not right. So I started being recruited to other places. And I allowed myself to mm-hmm. be flown out to Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> For a oh. dream job, it would have been an absolute dream job. Except, and except it was in Des Moines, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I remember I was there, and they put me up in a five-star hotel, and they're like whining and dining me, and yeah. uh, and I like I just sort of like I go out to the gay bars one night, and I'm like, oh my god, this is awful. Oh no, this is absolutely awful, and and uh, it was right after Hillary lost too, so oh. uh, and uh, and uh, I, I sort of looked at myself in the mirror, and I was like what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Why, why is this job that important to you? Yeah. Like you, okay, fine. This is a crazy amount of career advancement for, I think at the time, like 28, 29 year old. Sure. But that's, why is that important to you? Mm. I'd already visited San Francisco at this point. Mm. Uh, and I'd had a really great time at Dory Alley and I'd experienced my first sex club. Uh huh. <laughs> and, um, quite a bit later than you did. Uh, and, uh, and I was just like, I don't want this. I mm. want to live in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and I, I, to be clear, I, the reason I gave, which was also true for leaving the job, was that I wanted to move in, in with my boyfriend who already mm. lived in San Francisco. And that was partly true. That was certainly, uh, you know, the, the immediate impetus. But I'd been looking before I met him. Mm. And... Uh, I I think I probably would have ended up there anyway, even mm-hmm. if I hadn't had him in my life. Yeah, or here I should say we are in San Francisco. We right are now. in San Francisco <laughs> right now. The so you had yes you had had so you had a boyfriend that you I'm assuming met at um, a burner event of some sort at Dory Alley actually at Dory Alley. Alley. Wow, so long distance, yeah. long distance from falling in love at Dory Alley. That is literally where I met Simone. So, (laughs) you know, it's a romantic time in San Francisco, our kinky street festivals. If you want to find a lover, come on down. I have to say, though, I know (laughs) I'm glad that Say Love still exists. Mm. But the predecessor party, which is where I met my boyfriend, Mm. was so special to me. And I wish we could get that back. It was such a special format for an event. You should do it. 
I might. I yeah. might. It, it, the, the venues are hard to find. Is well, the problem, but well, well, let's let's talk about it and plan it sometime. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, you know, if, that's how San Francisco works. You want something, make it happen. Um, the that's community not a bad idea. I hadn't really thought about really pursuing that, but it's not a bad idea at all. There you go. Upcoming details. Yeah. Uh, queer hearts. Queer hearts. Um, party plans a party, but I also don't want to upstage say love. So we'll. I'll ask permission. Oh, I'll ask permission. Oh, you know, but it's, it was her art. You know, mm, that well, party was her art. I see. Well, we'll have to we'll have to talk through this. But of yeah. course, the parties here move and shift, and yes. many are special because of who's there. And people come and go here all the time. People pass and people move on. And um, there's you know, our spaces are sacred to us because they are what we've all built with our hands. Um, and let our souls loose on those dance floors and let our you know yeah no it's your that 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 whole statement really brought something back to me though mm, what's that do you i mean for for our listeners there was a very strong debate in our community a few months ago mm. over the future of the castro theater yeah and it involved it invoked a lot of passions and mm. i have to admit that when it first started being debated didn't understand why people were holding on so hard to this Mm -hmm. space in a specific configuration you know in terms of or banked seating as opposed to just flat floor Mm -hmm. and i realized it's because of all the ghosts all the people who had memories Mm -hmm. and people in wonderful magical experiences maybe they you know made out in in the in the rows with people who are no longer with us Mm. and it felt like the last nail in the coffin to get rid of that old movie palace Uh, as a movie palace yeah it's it is changing it's becoming more of a venue now it is becoming a a flexible venue and they are committed to doing as many movies as they did before but it it won't be a true movie palace anymore. And I, right. Yeah. So the velvety chairs are they yeah. are changing, and no, you're right. There's something as simple as a, a chair within uh, the you know the gayest movie theater in the states, from my understanding, yeah. right in the heart of the Castro. Um, you know, it's where people enjoyed their evenings out with their lovers, with their friends. You're right. Something as simple as a chair can hold a lot of meaning, and certainly. One of the best movie experiences I ever had was watching Bros, that that recent gay movie, which many people have different opinions of. I I liked it. And particularly, I liked it because I saw it with a bunch of queer people in a queer theater in a queer city, you know, and the reactions, the energy, the laughter to actually be around people while engaging with content. Um, you know, it's like rare that. these days and to be around other people that you relate with so strongly and so true it was very special it still is a special place every year you can go to Freeline Film Festival there but um, I can see how I personally miss more gay movies happening in it and seeing them with people uh, and I, I'm glad that we won't necessarily lose that but of course it is changing yeah, no, it, it's definitely sort of more of an appreciation than, mm-hmm. um, you know, 
not shifted my own opinion. I still think it's the only way to save the space, but mm. it's sort of an appreciation of why it's such a triggering issue. Damn, but on yeah. the scene, bros, man, I, I'm with you there. That was such an experience. I, I saw it with a group of gays, but mm. in a theater that was mostly straight. And I remember laughing so hard. I was like, they're saying this? Yes, loud yes, yes, yes. to straight people <laughs> the this is a secret we don't the talk secrets. about this <laughs> this yeah. is all true but we don't talk about it <laughs> yeah i think that's what made it so good is it, it really made you feel red and, oh. you know it's rare it's rare that you feel red by a movie as a gay man because you're i can watch most movies and all of this stuff it relates but you know i don't really subscribe to monogamy i don't subscribe to um, like this necessarily rigidity of, of structures and uh, life um, life goals and so I can brush a lot of it off but this one really hit home yeah. with a lot of you know it brought up you know body issues and masculinity and that's exactly what we've been talking about which is what we struggle with uh, as well as sexuality sex drive how much does sex mean um, and how does this all interplay uh, with our careers and with our uh, with our lives at large? So, I guess coming back coming back to you, you know, you've been in San Francisco now, no longer playing rugby. Why is that? Um, I I had too many concussions, and it got to the point where mm. uh, I was getting concussions from extraordinarily minor impacts. Mm-hmm. To the point that I wouldn't have been able to play the game. I would have gotten a concussion every five minutes and had to go out of the game. Mm-hmm. So I became a liability to the team because they they'd be using a precious sub on me too often. Mm-hmm. So I I had to quit. Mm. It's a dangerous sport. It is a very dangerous sport, but it definitely demonstrates how addictive it is. That essentially, it wasn't that I got concussions. Like people get seven, eight, nine, ten concussions in rugby all the time. Is that I was getting them too easily. Got it. Uh, and I sort of was forced to quit by that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dangerous and, as you said, like addictive. There's something that, that is a thrill, a rush, a... Well, I have to tell you, man, we had people on our team who were infantry troops in Iraq and in Afghanistan. Oh, wow. And they told me, yeah. multiple people told me separately, that playing rugby was the closest they felt to combat outside of combat and that they played it to feel alive again because they didn't really feel alive after coming back from war. Wow. There's a lot to unpack. Uh-huh. There. There's a lot to unpack, but I mean the, 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 the dem- what I'm trying to demonstrate is the intensity of the experience is mm-hmm, like a drug. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was very hard to convince me to quit. I saw so many experts trying to get a different answer. Wow. Wow. Oh, but here you are. Here I am. No more rugby. No more rugby. Um, you still have a lot of rugby friends. A yeah, lot of people that played uh, that played rugby because it's, it's a, yeah. you know, um, and of course this had an effect on your body. Um, I mean that's that. Is it still? Do you still suffer from any of the the pains of, of playing the sport? Yeah. Uh, I mean not too many. Mm. Um, I don't actually know for sure that. Um, all of these injuries, you know, came from rugby. Some of them certainly did, but I certainly have a few things on my body and a few scars and things mm. like that. Um, you know, uh, I was fortunate that outside of the concussions, I didn't have a lot of bone breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have a few 
mm. joint issues and uh and you know lacerations and things like that mm-hmm. er doctors are not very sympathetic to rugby players <laughs> i mean you go in with a laceration for, for like they'll, they'll they'll use it as a teaching moment for their, for their oh, residents wow. they'll be like all right now feel around in there you see how it goes in deep like this on this direction because oh, wow. you got to use this technique it's like Thanks, ma'am. Right, right, because they're like, yeah, you know, we're you're here all the time. Like, you like this, you don't like, you, little, don't you, boy? Don't you? Ooh. Kinky doctors. Yeah. Um, wow. No, it's 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 so you know, there's there's a price to these things, and, yeah. and as you said, it's it's. I mean, what a rush, what a bonding experience, um, and now um, certainly it's left some lessons with you both. Uh, about you know about you about your body about um, about what tell me what's what's still I mean, with the you bi- today? the biggest takeaway from rugby was how little I need to let people fuck with me <laughs> okay and how little I'm afraid of things I mean of course mm. it's, it's it's healthy to be afraid of things but mm-hmm. I I've definitely had you know experiences where I've I've felt confident in a way that I don't think I would have if I hadn't played rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, like I've I've been more active with my union uh, at work uh, in a way that I might have been scared to do mm-hmm. um, without having that experience and knowing that there's very little I can't take. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I work in a job that does occasionally involve some serious emergencies and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know knowing that I can face those yeah. and that it'll be okay yeah I think those are my big takeaways yeah no it's a, it's a yeah. great point you know you when you're able to face fear and respond with anger and respond with like drive and overcome it you know and honestly suppress emotion to be rational well, yeah. but 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 I would say that yeah. um, you know more broadly, um, what I what I took away from the whole experience was that there are definitely many ways in which um, it's important for gay and queer people to be validated that the ways in which they're different mm-hmm. are okay. Mm-hmm. And what I really needed to hear was that I was the same. And that that was okay, even though I was gay. Mm-hmm. And then that gave me the space to explore mm-hmm. my queer truth in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. Once I had that secure in my heart. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's not necessarily what you hear that often here. You San, don't. San Francisco. You really don't. San Francisco is kind of where you come when you don't fit in, and um, when we love that. But you're right. It's. But um, and, and that and honestly, that's what I. That was the order I needed to do it in. I needed to be told that I did fit in mm-hmm. with heteronormative stereotypes that's so that I could then come here and explore the ways in which I don't. Yeah, absolutely. And now you get to, you can do everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why? I, mean, I, wish yeah. I, could, I wish I could still play rugby, but you know. Right. <laughs> well, yes, but you, you did play rugby. Yes. You know the mindset. You practiced those skills. You've, in a way, mastered such intense levels of fear, pain, and you know a focus in extreme situations that many people won't um uh and you've uh now you've done that while also now you know i know you to where 
cute pink outfits. Uh, and I think I've seen, have you ever seen you in a wig? wig? I've seen your little dress. Uh, I, yes. You're one of very few to see have seen my dress. But yes, I have a dress and yeah. I've worn it twice. Yes. See? And now, in other words, you get to see Seth's intense masculine sides as well as uh, his lovable and fun and ridiculous and playful sides and who cares how masculine or feminine they are uh, because you can be all of them and yeah. being more of one doesn't mean you can be less of the other you just means that you get to be more than people limit themselves to because you said so very much so <laughs> Well, it's been really great uh, to talk with you today. And thanks so much for sharing yeah, your story here. Really pleasure. Uh, it's been a great pleasure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good night, Seth, and bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> that was fun.